If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Puto Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, Metro columnist, and I'm joined by City Hall reporter Joshua Fector. Business editor and columnist Greg Jefferson. Investigative reporter Brian Chasnoff. We're uh, recording this on the morning of Monday, March 22nd, and um, we've got a lot of local politics that we're going to talk about, but uh, when to start off um, discussing uh, Congressman Chip Roy, who's uh, who represents uh, U.S. District 21, second-term Republican congressman. Uh, his district includes South Austin, uh, parts of the Hill Country, Northeast San Antonio, uh, Alamo Heights, Terrell Hills, Castle Hills. And um, last week, uh, Representative Roy was part of a House Judiciary Committee subcommittee hearing. And the, the focus of it was uh, anti anti-Asian American bigotry. And this was coming, uh, I, the, the hearing had been planned uh, before this, but this hearing happened two days after. Uh, a, a tragedy in the Atlanta area where you had uh, eight people killed, including six Asian-American women at three spas in Atlanta, and uh, which has uh, you know, brought new urgency to the issue of uh, anti-Asian-American hatred in this country, which uh, the hate crimes against Asian-Americans are up 150% in the past year. Um, since COVID-19 really became a reality in the United States. And there have been a lot of questions about the, some of the rhetoric that former President Trump and others have used calling the COVID-19, you know, the China virus and Kung flu and so, so on. So this was one of the issues that was being discussed. Also, locally, we had an incident about a week ago where Noodle Tree, the uh, local restaurant, uh, was uh, experienced um, anti-Asian uh, graffiti uh, after the owner of the restaurant had uh, had criticized Greg Abbott on CNN for uh, for opening up the state uh, completely and removing all COVID restrictions. So um, before we talk about uh, Chip Roy, I want to play a little clip of what he said. This this hearing was, uh, as I said, to deal with anti Asian American bigotry. He was sort of resistant to the idea. He started saying, "Well, I'm." I'm concerned about what Asian Americans are going through, but I'm concerned about, you know, with uh, uh, the people on the border dealing with, with cartels and other things. And he's uh, people whose businesses were, were looted during the, the, the black lives matter protest last week. He started bringing in all these other things. And uh, clearly he had a resistance to the, to the, uh, to the theme of the, of the hearing. And this is the clip we wanted you to hear. Um, we did, we believe in justice. Right? There's old sayings in Texas about, you know, find the, all the rope in Texas and get a tall oak tree. Uh, you know, we take justice very seriously and, and we ought to do that. Uh, round up the bad guys. That's what we believe. Um, my concern about this hearing is that it seems to want to venture into the policing of rhetoric in a free society, free speech, um, and away from the rule of law 
taking out bad guys. So, uh, the, the, the reference to a rope and an oak tree, um, was the, the obvious thing that, uh, that, that people, uh, focused, uh, in on, um, uh, Greg, I'll start with you. Uh, what, what was your response or what was your, your first reaction uh, when you, when you heard, uh, Chip Wright, <laughs> that, that he just can't, that he just can't help himself. I don't know. To me, you know, when, when faced with like the reality of, of hate crimes against Asian Americans and the fact that they've increased pretty substantially over the last year, like faced with that reality, it just, it, to me, it, it, it's kind of a, like it, 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 his response kind of reflects a really decadent politics I've seen, I think we've seen on the right where, I mean, it's so much about, you know, uh, demonization and, you know, finding, finding just the right enemy to, you know, rally your base against that. It kind of, you know, it, it kind of follows that logic. I mean, you know, when, when you have an implacable enemy, you know, who's bringing, you know, Kung flu over the, over the border, what's the appropriate response? Well, you'll lynch him. I mean, it's just, it's kind of a sick politics. To me, that's, that's what I took away from it. It's just kind of symptomatic of what we've seen a lot of on the right. Yeah. You know, and the, the thing is that, that, uh, one of the things that's interesting to me is that, um, Chip Roy, uh, is, is, I think one of the politicians that we, we've seen this with others, uh, who have sort of this romanticized, uh, idea about Texas and in, in its old, in the old West days. Um, and, and it's, it's interesting. I mean, I, with the two that I think of in Texas, the politicians who seem to, uh, you know, succumb to this the most are, are, are Chip Roy and Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick and Chip Roy grew up in Virginia and Dan Patrick grew up in Maryland. And, but they have this, this, they, they seem to be m the more into this old yeah, West yeah. idea of Texas than, and than anybody that I can think of. And I, I find it kind of curious. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, you see reflections of that too in in Absolutely. Ted Cruz, who is also you know not not from here. Uh, so yeah, they get they get this uh, they get these cowboy notions in their head as soon as they kind of settle into Texas politics. It's kind of absurd. The the, it, it, the thing about the 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 broader message I think that Chip Roy had there because he was you know that part of the of the 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 speech uh, or his statement. Um, was actually his his sort of uh, clumsy attempt to say, well, I do care about Asian Americans who've been the victims of, of crimes, and you know we believe in justice and punishing people. So it was it, that was part of his awkward attempt. But the, I think the broader message was this: this committee is, is policing speech, and that's really bad, and I don't support it, and it's it's uh, violating the First Amendment. And the thing about this that's curious is like you know I don't think anybody was at the hearing was suggesting that Donald Trump should be locked up for you know for some of the the ways he's talked about Asian America or, or Asians since the, the, the virus uh, hit, it was talking about accountability and responsibility and how, how words can matter. And Chip Roy himself, uh, when we had the latest impeachment process for Donald Trump, he voted against impeachment on, on process grounds. But he said that when the president uh, incited people to uh to go to the Capitol and and and, f and falsely gave them the impression that they could the election results could be overturned, that that he was that he bore responsibility for the violence that happened at the Capitol. Uh, he also sent a letter to uh, Nancy Pelosi uh, several weeks ago, 
complaining about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez when she had criticized Ted Cruz and said that he had tried to get her killed because he had supported Trump uh, when it came to the the election. So, and he said, we need to get rid of that, the, this kind of heightened rhetoric. We need to put a halt to this heightened rhetoric. So he, at times he shows uh, a willingness to acknowledge that, uh, that political leaders' words can matter and they can have an effect. But then at this hearing and at other times we see him sort of say, no, you're trying to police speech and you're violating the First Amendment. And that, that's one of the things that I find kind of uh, uh, difficult to reconcile with him. Um, I'm not, does anybody else have any thoughts on that? I, I mean, it, it's not violating free speech to give him a hard time for saying something stupid, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> this reminds I mean, me... Uh, Brian, I, I was, I'm sorry to interrupt. I was, I was going to say, it reminds me of, of a story that you worked on years ago. Um, in 2013, when you, Brian, when you wrote about the, this uh, recording uh, involving then council member Lisa Chan, and she was engaging in some, some anti-gay uh, slurs, and her team came out and, and said, well, you know, this is she, this is the First Amendment. You know, she has a right to say whatever she and, and nobody was, you know, and the First Amendment is there right. to protect citizens against the government imprisoning you for what you say. It's not to protect elected officials it, from getting criticized. And, and, and I think at the, it's important to note that at the, at the time, council was crafting an anti-discrimination ordinance. And so exactly her, uh, her views wrong. on the LGBT community were very, very pertinent. And she actually voted against the ordinance, but she for did. some, and, and I apologize, I don't exactly remember the reason, but it was some technical reason to do probably with small businesses or, you know, it had nothing to do with, uh, you know, whether or not the LGBT community should be concerned about discrimination. So yep. this recording that, that I obtained, uh, was very relevant to her vote to her that hadn't even happened yet. So, yeah. I mean, the thing that with Chip Roy that that's been, uh, curious and kind of fascinating to me is I've, I've seen him, for example, when he ran 2018 at an editorial board meeting, sitting with Joseph Kopser, his Democratic opponent. They had a really civil and pretty thoughtful discussion about taxation and the federal budget and everything. And and I've seen that that side to him. And then I've seen, you know, where a couple of months ago when Joe Biden tweeted about what he was going to do on day one and Chip Roy came back and said on day one, kiss my ass, you know, so he's got that, that side to him where he seems to, <laughs> he has to be the sort of, uh, the, the hyper-partisan bomb thrower. Um, but the, you know, there, there are times when you, I, you see some, uh, there's another side, I think at war with that. And I, I, I don't, I think he's. Well, and I think it, it's also worth pointing out that, uh, you know, the Democrats and, and a lot of people on the left are actually starting to acknowledge that cancel culture is pretty corrosive to, yeah. to an extent. And yeah. I, I think that, you know, the, the, the right is using it as kind of a, a you know, a straw man in a way um, exactly. to, to demonize the left. Um, so I think there, there does need to be a, a reckoning to some extent with, with the so-called thought police. But I think in this case, it's like, okay, he said something that was clearly offensive and calling him out for that is something that can and should happen. That's right. And, and, I, and I, yeah, I agree. And and I, go ahead, Josh. Well, I just to piggyback off of, you know, what Greg was saying earlier, you know, in, in sort of the larger context of, of, this, of this meeting uh, that, was, that was held last week, uh, 
you know, there's just sort of this strain uh, of Republican thought um, or, you know, sort of thought on the right where, you know, you can have, you know, sort of evidence of sort of, you know, a racist behavior, racist act, you know, a hate crime as as was committed last week. Um, but, you know, almost worse than that is accusing people of of bigoted behavior or 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 you know racist rhetoric like that that seems to sort of outweigh um you know what were the real world effects of mm-hmm. of this uh of this kind of rhetoric last week right and and you know really what was the what was the the positive effect of Donald Trump referring to covid-19 as the kung flu there was no positive effect there was i mean uh there again, there should not that anyone should saying that he should be imprisoned for for using that kind of language, but he he was the president. He his 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 words do do matter. And what was what was the positive effect of it? There there was nothing positive coming out of re- using those that kind of uh, term aside from the fact that it enabled him to deflect. Uh, attention away from criticism that he was getting for his handling of the, of the virus and to remind people, because he, he praised China for a couple of months last year. He was saying they're doing great and they're working really hard. And then when he started getting criticism about the numbers rising in this country, then he started using those kinds of terms. And so I think it's, it, it's, uh, I don't think it's wrong to scrutinize that. Um, and, uh, and I think Chip Roy at times has been willing to say, yes, the 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 rhetoric of politicians uh, matters, and it's and it's something that we have to be, you know, watch out for. But then at other times he uh, he rejects that idea. So, uh, Josh, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, a story you did last week, and this has been uh, you know an ongoing issue in San Antonio, and Brian's written about this too, which is you know how San Antonio has handled the uh, the sign up process for the, the COVID-19 uh, vaccines. And you, you pointed out in your story, San Antonio is the only major Texas city without a kind of a one-stop sign-up portal. Um, and I think that there's, there's been some, there was some criticism among uh, council members and uh, other elected officials uh, recently about this. I mean, what, what is being, what is the issue here and what are, what are people saying about it? So, you know what, what's at issue here is um, you have this mounting frustration, um, maybe perhaps not mounting. It's been present the whole time, uh, you know, among among the public that there's not an easy way to sign up for a vaccine appointment uh, to get you know the the Pfizer, Moderna, you know Johnson and Johnson COVID nineteen vaccines. Um, you know, basically, like what people have to do is they have to wait and watch for these uh, vaccine appointments to come become available. Then they have to hop on the phone, or they have to, you know, rush to a website uh, to, you know, try to battle with thousands of other people to to get an appointment. Um, and you know, what you encounter are clogged phone lines. You have crashing websites, and you know, people spent hours and hours and hours uh going about this attempt to just schedule an appointment and oftentimes they find that they're unable to um you know so this idea has come up um several times of basically you create a one-stop shop 
basically a, a, a place where you can sign up and you can put all of your information into it. Uh, and in the event that an appointment becomes available, uh, you will just be alerted uh, to that. Um, you know, whenever a vaccine appointment comes up, you know, anywhere in the city, this is widely referred to as vaccine registry. And it's something that that other major Texas cities have uh, to to some degree, um, but something that we don't have here. Uh, so, like for the past couple of months, you know, um, you know, Councilman John Courage in particular has really been sort of uh, you know hammering uh, Metro Health to try to stand something up that could do that, could maybe pull um, you know everybody into the same system. And Metro Health has been pretty resistant to that. Um, like basically, the idea is that like you would you would sign up for this appointment, and like that would just take away, or you would sign up for this registry, and that would just take away whatever anxiety you had about like when am I going to be able to schedule an appointment? Am I going to have to spend hours on the phone? And Metro Health has is of a different opinion. They're just like, okay, well, this is probably not going to relieve anybody's anxiety. So th- that those have been sort of like the major. Uh, components right. of of this debate. Hey Josh, w- when you're talking about a registry, this is not necessarily you're, you're you mentioned getting alert alerts um, that something is available. So it's not necessarily being getting getting a number on a waiting list, is it? Or or is it is it just they're letting you you're on you're you're signed up and they're they're going to let you know when something becomes available. Is that how it works? So that's that's kind of what's what's being hashed out right now. Like basically, you know, part of the complexity of of this debate is first off whether to even try to do something like this, and two, to like what form does it actually take? You know, I I talked to um, you know a person with uh, Austin Public Health. They have a vaccine registry, and. The way their system works, it's not a queue system. It's not, you know, Gilbert, you signed up, you're, you're number two. Greg Jefferson, sure. you signed up, you're number three. Brian, you weren't able to get through. Um, the, it was, it, what basically the way it happens is that like you sign up and you get like thrown into this, this pool. And then as part of the pool, you get notified that, that, you know, an appointment is available and you have a specific window. So like there's, there's complexities within this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so like you have to, so the, uh, and you know, there's a degree of randomization that comes along with it. So it's a very, uh, you know, likely like what we wouldn't uh, see is something that like a system that would sign you up for an appointment at the Alamo Dome if it became available or, at Wonderland right. Mall, if it became available, or if, um, or if you know something comes up at CVS, like people say that that's just a gigantic undertaking. Like Austin Public Health, for example, they only do it for their the four sites that are run by the city. I see. You know, um, and so it's it's that level of you know minutia that they're that they're sort of reckoning with here. Brian, based on your reporting on on, on the, the vaccination process, I mean, do you have any thoughts about on, on what you think would be the best approach for the city to take? I mean, my understanding is that the the quantity of vaccine has increased dramatically right. in the past few weeks, and 
to my reporting, which I did primarily in uh, December, January, that was the main problem was that there just wasn't enough of it. Right. Um, and so I, you know, I would hope that, you know, I, I think that, you know, I, I experienced this directly trying to get my parents, uh, vaccinated, try to make sure they got vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sometimes older folks or, or folks who just aren't tech too technologically savvy, have a hard time navigating the system. Sure. So I think that the city is probably going to have to, and I think that they are, uh, you know, initiating some outreach. Isn't, isn't that right, Josh, that they're, they're actually proactively going out so, into the community? So a couple things. Yeah. I mean, you'll, you'll see like, you know, Justin Rodriguez will go out into the, into the West side and like individually sign up people for, for appointments. Uh, Metro health, for example, has a certain number of, of, uh, of appointments that they set aside for people in what they call priority census tracts. Basically, you know, um, you know, areas neighborhoods where, you know, people have high, let's have higher rates of say heart disease or diabetes, um, who are low income, uh, who are older, uh, you know, they, they have this whole system and basically they set aside a certain number of appointments for people for Metro health to go out and sign people up. Um, and, but that only exists for appointments that already exist. So if like, say 10,000 appointments get, uh, get released or, or come up, uh, you know, a certain chunk of that will be set aside for people, uh, in these neighborhoods. Um, another thing that's, that's being looked at is something that university health has set up, which basically if you download university health's smartphone, this was explained in a council meeting last week, Mm -hmm. um, they can, and appointments become available, uh, and you live in one of these areas, they can target you um, and give you at least a little bit of a head start when appointments become available. So you can go in and you can sign up. Um, but you know, one of the big holes in that obviously is, um, you know, what happens if you don't have a smartphone, if you don't have internet access, um, which we've seen is, is a big problem in, in San Antonio during the pandemic or has been exacerbated by the pandemic. And then you have this, this other school of thought, um, you know, uh, maybe perhaps not another school of thought, but, you know, you know, Colleen Bridger, who's basically the city's coronavirus czar, has been sort of like the main person saying, like, look, the problem is, is that we don't have enough vaccine doses um, and, you know, setting up a registry won't actually waylay anybody's anxiety. Um, mm-hmm. You saw, um, you know, officials from UT Health um, and WellMed last week uh, tell the city council Hey, look, I we're we're not quite sure that that this will be helpful either. So, I mean, there's mm-hmm. some there's some sense even among sort of like the the higher up health leadership in San Antonio that perhaps this isn't something that's necessary. Um, well, but shift- it, you know, yeah. it's uh, uh, but I mean, it's also just like you you're you're about to see you know vaccine uh, availability. Um, you know, greatly sort of increase. So this frustration is right. is only going to mount in the coming weeks. I want to shift uh, over to the, uh, the the mayor's race. We're a few weeks away from early voting for uh, elections for mayor and city council. And uh, Josh, as you pointed out in the story you had the other day, I mean, we've we've 
that had 3,000 lives lost in San Antonio, San Antonio area due to, to COVID-19, 140,000 jobs lost. We recently had this, uh, the community was traumatized by the, the winter freeze that left many people without power and without water. And so on, on the surface, you would think this is a time when we would have you know really fiery mayoral race because the community has been through so much recently, but that's not really happening. And so what gives with the mayor's race based on what you've been seeing? It's everyone's just tired. Um, yeah. I think is, <laughs> I think like that's a big part of it. Like that's I, true. that's true yeah like i i kind of can't get away from that um but but i mean there are all sorts of other factors at play here um you know one i think is everyone's having a really hard time raising money um you know this is kind of uh this has been a problem for campaigns throughout the pandemic uh where you know you know you have this economic downturn and so therefore people aren't as willing to give uh to campaigns and if your campaign doesn't have you know as big as big of coffers as they need then that's less money you have to do mailers to do you know targeted digital ads on facebook or you know get up on tv Mm -hmm. and so like people don't really get a sense that there's an election going on um but at least in a broader sense. And then, you know, the the number two, um, I think, as it pertains to the mayor's race is, um, you know, the mayor refuses to debate Greg Brockhouse um, and or to debate, you know, uh, uh, the other candidates one on one. You know, so far, he's he's just held the line, said, like, I don't see a reason to to debate Brockhouse, um, you know, he's having a hard time raising money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I don't see, and basically saying we don't, I don't see him as a credible challenger. Um, so and despite the fact that Brockhouse nearly ousted him, uh, in the runoff two years ago. Um, so he's, he's held the line on that. And, you know, I'm not really, you know, you'll see people in the mayor's camp, you know, basically agreeing with that, but I mean, it's, it's pretty, you know, I talked to, you know, folks who who just think that's just a total outrage. But I mean, with, um, you know, outside of the question of whether there should be debates, you know, debates bring attention uh, to to the race. You know, by this time in the last cycle, they'd already had uh, the mayor and Broncos had already had their first debate. So like the attention was starting to to really be generated. Yeah. Uh, he on the mayor's race, but you know, given just like the level of sort of crises and also just like these tactics by by the mayor and sort of the the, the general malaise, like that's kind of contributing to the fact a lot that of this virtual campaigning, not as much not as much in person yeah. campaigning. Yeah, and you know, I mean, the mayor is basically running like the municipal equivalent of what has been called a rose garden strategy when we talk about presidents. Just I'm, I'm kind of above politics. I'm just going to, you're just going to see me being real mayoral all the time. And I'm, I'm just, I'm not even going to lower myself to getting into any kind of political, you know, discussions with these other, the other candidates. Cause I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I've got problems that I gotta, maybe, I've got to help. I've got to help. Maybe the people he feels like, been, maybe he feels like been there, done that. I already beat this guy once. Yeah. <laughs> Why should I have to do it? I doubt that. I mean, because he barely beat him. <laughs> I mean, like, 
I, I just think the his the situation the the situation this time like couldn't be more different. So like everything that's pounded, you know, San Antonio over the last year. I mean, this is stuff the city has had to react to. I mean, like nobody nobody caused the, you know, nobody within city city government caused yeah, the pandemic right. or caused the winter storm. These and Greg hasn't accused happened. Ron of that yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but that's the thing. Like he's, yeah, he's, he practically has, or, or at least at minimum, really botching kind of the handling of, yeah. of these crises. And I don't know. I mean, Nuremberg's gotten, I, you know, I think he's done, I think he's done pretty well managing, managing these crises for the city. Um, so, you know, given that, uh, you know, he's, I think he's got, you know, he's in a firmer position than he was two years ago. I mean, two years ago, nobody really knew. Okay. So, uh, you know, Ron Ron Nuremberg as mayor stands Mm -hmm. for what? I mean, people just had a really hard time defining what it was that he wanted to accomplish for the city. Two years later, you know, we're in survival mode and that's a pretty clear, that's a pretty clear mandate for the mayor. And he's, you know, I think he's done a generally good job so, you know, I think hence he's, you know, he's, he kind of feels like he is, he's in control of this race. And if he doesn't want to debate, he's not going to debate. Yeah. And, you know, I think he thinks that there's no price to pay for that. And there might not be, I mean, you know, uh, you know, kind of insiders and reporters and editors and columnists yeah. get upset about, you know, his decision not to have debates. I don't know that that yeah, many other people do. I think, I think it's, 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 it's an inside baseball thing for sure. Um, I think he should debate. I think it's just, it's part of the process, but I, I don't know that the public is, is uh, concerned about. And I think mm-hmm. Greg, to your point about, you know, the fact that he, now we associate him with somebody who's helped the city navigate through a crisis. I mean, I, I'm always, I always tell people that, you know, we mm-hmm. remember Jimmy Carter in 1980 losing uh, during the Iran hostage crisis. And people will often say, well, you know, he lost the election mm-hmm. because of that. And uh, but what's what's often forgotten is that he probably only got the Democratic nomination over Ted Kennedy because that crisis had happened. And people I mean, his number his poll numbers, which were abysmal, suddenly started climbing because people thought he's the president mm-hmm. and he's he's we've got a crisis and we need to stand behind the president. And it it actually it actually right. helped him. I mean, as horrible mm-hmm. as uh, uh, the situation was, it, it did help him. So right, right, I think right. that Ron Nuremberg has, has been kind of a, a, a crisis mayor. And I think that that has probably helped solidify his position, like you were saying. Um, I think we're going to wrap things up there. Thank you all so yeah. much for listening. And we hope everyone's doing well. And we'll be back next week. Take care.